You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. A friend asked one of my kids last year when I began this journey of traveling from state to state, they said, is your dad crazy? So I thought today that I might answer that. Uh, I, want, I want to talk to you today about is your pastor crazy? And maybe to ask you the question, are you crazy? Uh, you know, that's a good, that's a good question. Because uh, this past week, as I was traveling from state to state, and a lot of times driving hundreds of miles over just rolling farmland, the question came to me, am I crazy? And God, why would you have me to do this? As of now, I've been to 37 states. I've gone around the capitals of each of those states seven times, walking around the capital building itself seven times and praying over the leadership of each state. In, in the course of spending day after day alone, listening to God, reflecting on God, why, God has revealed a couple of things that I, I hope that you'll write these down because I asked God, Bill, I asked God, why do you want me to do this and am I crazy? And, and what, is, what would be accomplished by a pastor uh, taking this kind of step? So there were two things that came out to me and I Basically, we'll be using a manuscript today, which I'm not comfortable with. You know me, I like an outline, I like to move around, but today I want to speak from a manuscript and I want you to hear hear my heart today. And there's two things that God revealed to me. Number one, we serve an illogical God. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. An illogical God, and for most of us in this room, because of that, we have acquired an ill-gotten gain. In other words, I believe these two attributes right here can affect your life, can affect my life, and can help me to understand why God calls me to do some of the things that I do. You see, first of all, we serve an illogical God. Now let me define illogical. Illogical is defined as irrational, unreasonable, or contrary to logic or to our normal reasoning powers. Ill-gotten is defined as to acquire something that we have not earned, we do not deserve, and we may even have acquired in an unfair manner. In other words, we may do something that at the time we are not even fully convinced ourselves that it is the right thing to do, though we do it. We are sinful, we are fallen, and yet we receive an ill-gotten gain. My journey began when I bought a truck, a 2010 Toyota pickup. All my life I've wanted, I'm 57 years old, all my life I've wanted a Toyota truck. Now that may not make sense to some of the women in this room, but there's a few men that may understand that. You know, there's something about a man and his truck. 
and I wanted a Toyota truck. In fact, if I had a little spare time, I would go and look at the Toyota trucks. I would just walk around. Sheila, I know, got tired all through the years. If we had a little bit of time or after we ate and we wanted to walk around, I'd say, let's go to the Toyota place and look at trucks. And I began to pray and ask God, God, I, I, I want a truck. Now, Toyota trucks, are they don't come down on the sticker much. Carl can attest to that. He, he knows that. Carl has dealt with vehicles before, and even I think Carl told me, Brother Jeff, you can't make much of a deal on a Toyota truck. And the resale value of a used truck is high. So I begin to pray, and I begin to ask God, God, would you just give me a truck? And, and I begin to feel like that God was going to do that, but there was a stipulation. God had something that he wanted me to do. Now, to some of you, this may be strange, but maybe in time, by the end of this message, you may understand. So ultimately, looking around for months and months and months, I came, came across a single dad in Kentucky, Lexington, Kentucky, that was having to get rid of a 2010 Toyota truck, exactly what I wanted, and he had an unbelievable price. In fact, when I called, I said, now, is this your, is this your price? And, and I, I, I felt guilty even trying to, you know, to get him down a little bit, and I didn't do it much, and he ended up giving it back to him, I think most of it. I mean, you know, but, but anyway, he was a single dad raising a boy, and, and this dad said that he had taken a position, had moved from one insurance company to another. They provided a vehicle, and he didn't need the truck, and so he needed to get rid of it. He had to get the payment off of him. So I flew up there and got the truck. Now, I tell you what, I had an experience with God flying up there. And, and God began to say some things to me that he wanted me to do once I had this truck. After that, I went on a journey, and I spent a week last year and I went to the Buffalo River, me and my truck and my kayak and my camping gear, and God made it once again very clear that there was something that he wanted me to do. Now, I want you to understand what I felt that God was asking me to do was illogical. But where God guides, he provides. And you need to remember that. So anyway, after that, I came back through Little Rock, Arkansas, I walked around that Capitol building seven times, and in that time, I committed me and my truck to do what I felt like God wanted me to do, and that was this. God was saying, I need you. I need you to drive to state to state, walk around the Capitol building seven times, pray over the leadership, pray over the leadership, and pray over the people who are in those offices. That's what I want you to do. And so last year, I left and went through, I, I've told you the story, went through Alabama, Georgia, right on up through South Carolina, North Carolina, all the way up to Maine, came back down through Albany, New York, down to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, went across to Columbus, Ohio, came back down through Kentucky, back down through Tennessee, and back to Mississippi. This year I left, a couple of weeks ago, two weeks ago Monday, and I, I left and I went up through Tennessee, up to Missouri, went over to Kansas, went back over and, and made my way to Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, right on up to Michigan and covered 14 states. And that put me at 37 states. Now I want you to understand something about your pastor. 
what I felt that God was asking me to do was illogical. And so on a lonely stretch of road, with day after day of talking to God, God reminded me of something. I am illogical, son. And you need to understand that. And I want you to understand that we serve a God who is illogical, which means this, sometimes He goes against our logic and our reasoning. And He may ask you to do something that is illogical. But out of that, you may get something that is ill-gotten. That you don't deserve and I don't deserve. And we may even have evil motives. Sometimes we receive the goodness of God when we don't deserve it at all. So, first of all, I begin to think about the Scripture. So I begin to go back. First of all, I want you to understand something. This to the world is illogical. There is nothing logical about this. This to the world is illogical. You see, there are things that are a part of who we are as, as followers of Christ, as believers, whether it be the position of prayer, this, that right there, that cross is illogical. In fact, Paul said the preaching of that cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. The cross is illogical. Prayer is illogical. Worship is illogical. That thought of singing and shouting and clapping our hands and lifting our hands, all of that is illogical because we serve an illogical God. Now, I want to take you through Scripture and I want to prove that point to you today. Are you ready? Say amen if you're ready. Now, first of all, there's a principle here and I want you to listen to this principle. God is beyond our reasoning powers... And at times, God calls us to what may be contrary to our human logic and our human reasoning. Now let me repeat that again. God is beyond our reasoning powers. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says that. There's some things that we can know about God. There's some things that we cannot know about God. They're beyond us. So God is beyond our reasoning powers and at times we call us to what may be contrary to human logic, to our human logic and our reasoning powers. Now let me prove it. Are you ready? Noah. Noah builds a boat in the desert, 75 feet wide, 450 feet long, three stories high. It is an illogical call, and the ill-gotten gain out of it was that Noah and his family were delivered by a vehicle of God's redemption. And all God's people said, Amen. You see, what God called Noah to do was illogical. Abraham leaves his father, his kindred, his people. He leaves his home, he leaves his livelihood on the premise that God says to him, Abraham, go to a country that I will show you and I will make out of you a great nation. Sarah is laughing in the tent and yet is getting the baby room ready for a woman who's in her 90s. Abraham has no children, is a hundred years old, has a barren wife, and he believes that though God is illogical, it goes against logic and against reasoning, it will be the truth. That's faith. Moses climbs a mountain and encounters God. 
He returns and stands before a world leader, the wealth who has the wealth and the power of the Egyptian dynasty, with the command, let my people go. He has no army. He has no one standing there with him. The only thing that he has is a staff that is in his hand. God delivers the Hebrew people out of a stream of plagues that pounded the soul of Pharaoh. The last plague is illogical. Moses stands before the Jewish people. He brings them together, perhaps as many as two million of them. And he says to them, the last plague will be the greatest plague. It'll be a plague you'll never forget. This plague will bring us to a point one day of the salvation and the redemption of humanity. And then, God, and then Moses says this, you go out into your flocks, you pick out one lamb, one little ewe lamb, a perfect lamb, the prettiest lamb, the most beautiful lamb of all. You take that lamb and you bring it. You call your family together. And if it's a poor family, you invite them in and you take that lamb and you slit its throat. You spill that blood over into the basin. You dress that lamb out to cook. You go over and you take that hyssop and you dip down in that basin and you go around the door post and the door frames and the death angel, when the death angel passes and sees the blood of the lamb, it'll pass over. That, my friend, was illogical. There was nothing logical about it. Ultimately, the, the Pharaoh, the Egyptian Pharaoh, releases two million people who begin to wonder, listen, led by Moses, a man holding a staff, they begin to move across the wilderness. There are no provisions. At one point, they are trapped with the sea in front of them, Pharaoh's army behind them, and they're thinking to themselves, this is illogical, there's nothing about it right. And yet God parts the sea, divides the sea, even skeptics and critics. When we would study them in the seminary, said this, in the Red Sea something happened that changed the course of the Israelite nation. The Israelite people saw something at the Red Sea that changed them from that moment to this day. They saw the hand of God. Two million people with no provisions, with no means of making it. God sent a bread from heaven called manna, which in the Hebrew means, what is this? God sent water from a rock, and at Mount Sinai, God etched onto the stone tablets that Moses brought. God etched from the hand of God the law of God that stands to this day. Joshua. Joshua takes the leadership of the nation of Israel. He stands before the nation of Israel. As they go into the promised land, after they cross Kadesh Barnea, as they're going into the promised land, Joshua gathers up the people. He said, this is our first city. This is our first military campaign. Jericho was heavily fortified. They were impregnable as far as the enemy was concerned. They were unconquerable. Joshua says to the Jewish people as they gather there, he said, listen, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go as a nation and we're going to walk around the encompass of, that, of, that, of those walls, of the walled city of Jericho. Not one word. Don't say a word. I don't want to hear a sound. We're going to silently make our way around the wall of Jericho. One day, two day, three day, four day, five day, six day. And on the seventh day, we're going to encompass that wall six times. One, two, walking around. Not a sound, not a word. 
But on this seventh time, the seventh lap, as we come around the seventh time, at the signal, you're to give a shout, and the walls of Jericho came down. My friend, there was nothing logical about it at all. We get to the judges, we see the deliverer, Othniel and Ehud, the left-handed deliverer, Shamgar, Deborah, Gideon, Gideon, a farmer, who the angel of the Lord goes to Gideon, says, thou mighty warrior of God. And Gideon said, who, me? I'm nothing but a farmer, and I'm hiding out from the Midianites trying to salvage my harvest. God, I'm not a warrior. There's a principle there, a second principle, an illogical God sees illogical potential in you. Some of you don't believe it because there was hardly an amen at all. An illogical God sees illogical potential in you. In all God's people said. Butcher Varley said to D.L. Moody, he said, the world is yet to see one man completely surrendered and sold out to Christ. Moody fell on his face and said, oh God, let me be that man. He was a stumbling, bumbling idiot, many people thought at Cambridge and Harvard, at some of the great schools, at Oxford University. They came with pails to peld him and to throw rotten fruit on him as he was preaching. He stumbled, he grammatically, he crucified the English. And yet when he died at 69 years of age, historians said he held North America in one hand and the United Kingdom in the other, and he lifted them both toward God. God sees illogical potential in you. He takes a farmer and makes him a prophet. He takes an 80-year-old man in the wilderness, a murderer, and raises him up to lead his people. It's beyond your reasoning, beyond your logic, what's in you. To the barren wife of Manoah, many of us are sitting here right now scratching our head and going, Who? To the barren wife of Manoah, a woman who had no name, she was a nobody. She was barren and she cried out to God. She said, God, give me a child. And when I tell you his name, everyone in this room will know him. His name is Samson. And as far as we know in the scripture, we don't even know his mother's name. There's speculation only. You say, I'm a nobody. I'm a no name. I'm nothing. My friend God, an illogical God, sees illogical potential in you. I'm sure there were a lot of times Miss No Name, Miss Nobody took that little boy and people would look at her and say, why don't you cut his hair? His hair's getting kind of long. Well, because he's a Nazarite. He's taking the Nazarite vow. We can't cut his hair. I didn't see you at the family funeral. Why weren't you at the family funeral? Everybody else was there. Where were you? Where was Samson? Well, he's a Nazarite. He's taking the Nazarite vow. We can't, he can't be near anything dead. That's silly. Give the boy a grape if he wants a grape. He's a Nazarite. He's taken a Nazarite vow. You see, all of that seemed illogical. But he was the deliverer. And with a jawbone of an ass, he would slay a thousand Philistines. You see, God sees illogical potential. And you. Some parents sacrifice their children on the world's altars. 
They're pursuing the things of pleasure, the things of this world. But not no name, not the wife of Manoah. An illogical God. He's illogical all the way through the Scripture. He whispers into the ear of the Old Testament prophet Samuel. He says, Samuel, ask him. Samuel finally looks at Jesse and says, Jesse, do you have any more sons? Jesse says, well, I, there's the youngest. He's about 16 years old, short, ruddy-looking kid. He's out there watching over the sheep. You want me to call him? Samuel says, call him. And that 16-year-old, ruddy, short, young man who had no potential, looked nothing like King Saul, who stood head and shoulders above everybody else. God says, that's the man I want. And, Je and, and Samuel anoints him, and we know him as King David. Was he important? There would come a day when the people of Israel in Jerusalem would shout, Jesus, thou son of David. God sees illogical potential in you. But he's an illogical God, and if you don't understand that, you'll never be great in the kingdom. David grows up. In fact, I love the story. He brings lunch to his brothers. You remember that story. Sees a battle in a big Philistine, a man by the name of who? Goliath standing out there making a mockery out of the army of Israel. And David's sitting there. He's a passionate. He's real. He's raw. He's just a young man. But he has a passion and a love for God. And David sits there. He can't take it any longer. He goes down to the brook. He picks up five smooth stones. Illogical. You mean God will deliver the army of Pharaoh and a giant to a boy with a sling and five stones. He picks up five stones because he has one for Goliath and four more for his four brothers. He goes back, he steps out in front of Goliath and he takes down this giant of a man. David becomes the king of Israel and his lineage, his lineage stretches all the way to the very throne of God. Principle number three, what God asks may be illogical to the world, but if you and I will obey Him, it will bring you gotten gain. Three Hebrew youth. They're in the Babylonian exile. As these young people, many of them are exiled out of the Babylonian army, Nebuchadnezzar's army takes them into captivity. Three Hebrew youth, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Stand against the edict or the, uh, of Nebuchadnezzar. They refuse to bow down to the king's altar. It's illogical. But it, I want you to understand this, because they were obedient, they saw the fourth man in the fire. An ill-gotten gain. Daniel bows to pray as he always did, and he ends up in the lion's den, but he spends the evening with the lion of the tribe of Judah. Nehemiah leaves the comfort of the Persian Empire to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. I'm sure his family counseled him and said, Nehemiah, you've got a good thing here. Don't mess it up. Someone else can build the walls. But he not only helped rebuild the walls, he led the rebuilding of the walls. He had Ezra rebuilding and putting the temple back together. The prophet Isaiah ran naked. Did you hear me? First streaker. Prophet Isaiah ran naked. That was illogical. 
Someone probably whispered and said, I've never heard of a priest running naked through the streets to make a point. But he made a point the Jewish people would never forget, and we're talking about it. Hundreds, over uh, nearly two, well, 3,000 years later. Jeremiah wore a yoke when he preached. A full yoke, like an animal would wear. He would walk the streets wearing a yoke calling Israel to repentance, calling the southern kingdom of Judah to repentance. Ezekiel would endure great persecution. All of these men in the world that they were living in were illogical. But they were obedient. Others would come, Old Testament prophets who would continue the call. Amos would leave his sheep one day and go to prophesy. Hosea, all of us probably know the story of Hosea, how illogical His father said to him one day, said, Hosea, I think you can do better than Gomer. She is nothing but a prostitute, son. She's a whore. She's a harlot. Leave her alone. Hosea looked at his father and said, God told me to marry her. God told me to marry a prostitute, a harlot, a trickster, a hooker. Son, that doesn't make a bit of sense at all. There came a day when she was unfaithful to him over and over and over again. She had three children. None of them were Hosea's. Finally, there came a day when Gomer had left Hosea. And I'm sure Hosea's father looked at him one day and said, I told you, son, I'm glad she left you. Now you can move on with your life. And and she's getting her just reward. In fact, Hosea, I heard they're down there at at the auction selling her now as a slave. She deserves it, son. Hosea, where are you going? Hosea, where are you going? Next thing we see this prophet, this Old Testament prophet Hosea, whose very life was a picture to the nation of Israel that had played the harlot. And yet God loved Israel. Here we see Hosea standing up in the middle of an auction, come running in there gasping for breath. This farmer standing up, and when Gomer's naked, standing there, used by man after man after man after man, dirty and filthy, unclean, there's nothing good about her. She's sitting there cowering down in shame. Hosea, the auction begins. It's a joke. It's everyone laughing. And all of a sudden, Hosea bids everything. He begins to bid all that he has. He begins to bid his produce. His far everything, Hosea buys her back. Illogical? I'm sure Hosea probably thought she's not worthy of such love, and God whispered, neither is Israel and neither are you. From Joel to Jonah, from Zephaniah to Zechariah, from Haggai to Habakkuk, There's a principle here. Men and women who heard an illogical call and received an ill-gotten gain. Matthew would walk away from his life of affluency. Matthew was a tax collector. Matthew was wealthy. And one day God said, Jesus said, Matthew, I need you. And Matthew walked away. James and John, sons of thunder. Real, raw, passionate men who were so passionate one time they said, Lord, let us pray down fire on this Samaritan village. Walked away from their fishing business, their father's business. Nathaniel, Peter, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, James the second, Simon, Thomas, all of these men did an illogical thing. They walked away from their livelihood. They walked away from their family and they went into the unknown of faith. All of these men followed a Galilean, a Nazarene. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. But a carpenter did. 
We serve an illogical God, people. And that illogical God sees illogical potential in every single one of us. And when we obey Him, whether it makes sense to a lost world, whether it even makes sense to you, it may not make sense to you. But when you and I obediently follow this illogical God, there is an ill-gotten gain. He is an illogical God who defies our reasoning. He draws the expanse of space and time out of nothing. He stretches out our universe, our stars, our solar system, our precious earth which sits like a grain of sand in this universe from the resources of His sovereignty. He is a God who wraps the flesh of man around His divine nature and dives into the depravity of humanity and initiates a massive search and rescue operation of looking for you. If you're lost here today, He's looking for you. Our blessed Savior whose hands once fashioned the cosmos are now fashioning tables and chairs and cribs and all the sweetness of a baby that was laid in a crib that Jesus had made. Jesus, our illogical God in the flesh, Yeshua, Emmanuel, kisses the sweet cheek of his mother Mary one day and whispers, it is time, and he leaves his tools right where they're laying. There's nothing logical about it. At 30 years of age, he walks away from business, away from family. Jesus, who walks a geographical area half the size of the state that we live in for three and a half years, whose only written words are scratched in sand, but were immortalized in the soul of a harlot and carved into the heart of those who would judge her. Jesus, who taught the mysteries of the universe, is later taken by an angry mob. He's put on trial on trumped-up charges. He's sentenced and beaten and put to death. An illogical God. But He brings to us an ill-gotten gain, salvation. As they're beating Him, as they are nailing Him on the cross, heaven stands in rank formation. There is a spiritual army of more power than 10,000 universes. They are commanded to stand down. Hold your position. as a Roman soldier rips away the flesh of our Savior, as the cat of nine tails wraps around his sacred body, as thorns are embedded into his, bow, in his brow while Satan and his demonic entourage send up a chair. The armies of heaven begin to hum the hallelujah chorus. The saints that have gone on before us, some of the names that I've mentioned, begin to sing, it is well with my soul. Bruised and beaten are illogical God in the flesh in this search and rescue operation hangs suspended between heaven and earth. Every drop of His blood as it hits the ground rattles the corridors of hell. And those words destined from the fall of Adam in the garden are now heard from his sacred lips, it is finished. And he breathes his last. There's nothing about this that is logical. 
this story of redemption, of salvation, there's nothing about it. This, as one song says, is a strange way to save the world. This is not the way to save the world. He's dead. The bread, the water, the light, the salt, the I am is dead. Death has stunned the throne of God. Emmanuel, God with us, now is laying in a tomb. Illogical. The disciples are broken, women are weeping. Heaven's choirs are silent. There's nothing logical about this at all. This is illogical. Broken and shattered three days later... A handful of women make their way to finish the embalming of the body of Jesus. The disciples who have left all, who have so identified with Jesus Christ, are now hiding. They are waiting for the storm to die down so that they can return to their business or to the remnant of what is left of their business and get on with their lives because hope is lost. The disciples are hiding. Until there's a pounding on the door. I can hear it. Till there's a pounding on the door and words that were pulsating from the heart of God and are now heard across the earth. Through the gasping lungs of Mary come the greatest words that have ever been recorded in history. Oh, John, John, he's alive. Jesus, Jesus is alive. She then walks over and cradles the tear-stained face of a guilty fisherman who had denied him. And she says, oh, Peter, Peter, he's alive. Jesus, Jesus is alive. Peter and John get up, they cry out, it can't be. They run to the tomb, the tomb is empty, the burial clothes are laying as if the body has been exhumed through the cloth itself. The Bible said when they saw that cocoon without a body, fully wrapped, laying there, collapsed, as if a body had been pulled out of it, it said that immediately they believed, they were convinced. Every one of these people died. Every one of these people died martyrs' deaths outside of John the Beloved. He's alive! As they say in Zimbabwe, Jesu arimu upinu, in the tongue of the African people there in Zimbabwe. Weeks to come, he would be seated at the tomb. He would be walking on the road to Emmaus. He would be gazing through walls, stepping through walls. He would be convincing his disciples beyond any shadow of a doubt. Feel the nail scars, see the wound in the side, and believe. Because I am illogical, and I'm calling you to be illogical, and I promise you there's an ill-gotten gain, even though you don't deserve it, even though sometimes you're evil, you're going to receive a blessing. He's alive. And the ecclesia, the ekkaleo, the called out ones, the church is empowered and filled with this Holy Spirit, empowered by the divine presence of an illogical God who gives us an ill-gotten gain which we do not deserve. And he calls us to be illogical. When was the last time in your life that God asked you to do something that was illogical? Maybe he he has not because he knows your heart and you won't do it. It may be as illogical as this. 
It may be as illogical as walking over to a table at lunchtime in a restaurant and saying, I just noticed your family. It was sweet to see all of you. So You're so precious. And just wanted to tell you that uh, I prayed for you. I prayed for your family before I ate my meal. I wanted you to know that. It may be as illogical as looking in a, in a waiting room as you're waiting to see a doctor, leaning over and saying... Uh, I presume you're sick or you wouldn't be here. How can I pray for you? It may be as illogical as going to a family member or friend that you've been putting it off for weeks, for months, for years, but finally you just have to, you have to look at them and say, I know you may think I'm crazy, and I know I've spent many, many times with you, but I've never asked you this. Are you a Christian? Do you know Christ? What's God calling you to do? When was the last time he asked you to be illogical? Number two, when was the last time the world scratched their head? When was the last time the world scratched their head and looked at you and said to you, that doesn't make a bit of sense whatsoever, and you smiled and said, I know. It doesn't to me either. Number three, do you know him? Do you know him personally and intimately? Is he your savior? So let me conclude this sermon by saying, no, I'm not crazy. I may be illogical, but I can tell you this much, every one of you look this way. I'm in good company. I'm in good company. I ain't felt good in a while and I'm sick right now. I may die, I may drop dead right now, but I can tell you this much. When this old man walks through the gates of glory, Moses will give him a high five. Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, all of them will be standing there and they'll be saying one more to the rank of the illogical who received the ill God. What's God asking you to do? I'm not talking, I'm not talking to somebody else. I'm talking to you. What's the Holy Spirit? What is God asking you to do? Every child, every youth, every parent, every grandparent, every person in this room, what is God asking you to do? Does it seem illogical? Then you're in good company. Will it make sense? Our salvation, our story of redemption makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. And know him. I'm going to ask you to stand with heads bowed and with eyes closed. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you right now, and Lord, we pray, dear Lord, that you'd speak to the hearts of men and women in this room. God, we know that you're an illogical God. We know, dear Lord, that sometimes all of our logic, all of our reasoning, all of our intellectual ability falls short, dear Lord, of your sovereignty fall short of your omniscience, omnipotent, omnipresence. Lord, sometimes we scratch our head as we read the Bible, and like Billy Graham who went down a lonely road one day, held his Bible up toward the heavens, as before he went to the L.A., one of the great crusades, he said, God, I don't understand all of this word. Some of it, God, doesn't make a bit of sense to me, but I'm going to believe it. And God, you took that man and you raised him up as one of the great prophets of modern times. 
God, you see a logical potential in us. D.L. Moody, he crucified the grammar. He was a horrible pitcher, but he loved Jesus. He loved you so much. And dear Lord, you took, you took the most illogical person with no potential whatsoever, and you used him mightily. God, you took old rough fishermen. James and John, you called the sons of thunder. Peter, he was a loud mouth and foul mouth fisherman. He was unpredictable. It was nothing, there was nothing good about him. Sometimes you'd scratch your head and come down off the Mount of Transfiguration and you'd be talking to them and they'd be talking about a building program and you'd come down to the other nine and they didn't have enough power to cast out a demon out of a man's son. You'd look and scratch your head and say, how long am I going to have to contend with you? But thank God you did. Peter, that bumbling fisherman, would remain faithful and one day when they came to crucify him, when they came to hang him on a tree just like they did Jesus, Peter would object and he would say, no, crucify me upside down. History tells us that Peter was crucified upside down because he did not feel worthy to die in the same passion in the same way that Christ did. Lord, they are great church fathers. There have been those that have been burned at the stake and while they were being burned, while they were dying, began to sing praises to the to the heavens, to Jesus. Lord Stephen, when they began to stone him to death, taking up rocks and throwing him, he began to worship. He said, I see, I see my Savior seated at the right hand of the Father. Oh, dear Lord, that sweet, precious, adulterous woman, as they were getting ready to stone her and pronounce judgment, Lord, as she laid there at the feet of you, you never even looking up, you were so ashamed of the way these people were behaving. And in kindness and gentleness, you just simply looked at those accusers and said, you without sin cast the first stone. They all began to drop their stones and walk away. Then Jesus, you looked at her and you said, we're your accusers. She said, there are none. He smiled and said, neither do I accuse thee. I believe he helped her to her feet. said, now go now, go now. Don't sin no more. We serve a great God. But we serve a God that is illogical. We are a nation and a world that is sitting around gloating over our scientific knowledge. We don't even know nothing. We know very little. We are so, so far from the knowledge of an almighty God. So God, we pray today that you would speak to the hearts of men and women and boys and girls in this room. We pray, dear Lord, for the power of your Holy Spirit to prick the hearts. And Lord, if there's one here, dear Lord Jesus, if there's one here that does not know you, we pray, dear Lord, today that your Holy Spirit would just illuminate their heart. And right now, dear Lord, convict them of their sin. Cause them to reach out and ask for forgiveness so that they can become a Christian, that they can be born again, that their name can be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Your word says today is the day of salvation. Now is the time, right now. 
So Lord, if there's one here that doesn't know you, may they just simply call out and say, Jesus, forgive me, cleanse me, come into my heart. Father, for those in this room that may feel like there's no potential in them, they just feel like they're not worth much. They may think, well, I need more education. I need more this, I need more that. I'm not very good looking, I'm not this, I'm not that. But Father, you see illogical potential in illogical people. You, you take sometimes what the world throws away and even what the church throws away. Church is bad to throw people away. God forgive us. Shame on us. Shame on us when we use and abuse people and when we're finished with them, tossing them to the side. There's some in this room that have been hurt by the church. They've been tainted. They've been scarred. And they don't really like the church anymore. But she's still your bride. As beaten and roughed up as she is. Lord, I pray, dear Lord, that you would speak in our hearts. And we pray this in the name of Jesus.